Turn in the Word of God to Isaiah 12. Isaiah chapter 12. It's good to see those of you here tonight. Welcome you in the Lord's name. I want to be keeping, well, it's pretty much over, I think, almost the, I don't know exactly what time the conference was scheduled to end, but I did see a video today that there was a little bit of a protest outside the, the Manor Church in New York. Um, didn't seem to be too uh, hostile, let's say, but uh, there was still a presence there. It's... I'll not get into it, but it's just it's so sad, the blindness of people that they have and the agenda-driven nature of such a protest that is there just to edify uh, pastors, really, and in a small number, and yet people who just feel like this is their territory, how dare anyone with a different view exist and even breathe the same air as we breathe, but such is the case in our day. So thankful it doesn't appear to have been any violence or any nonsense, just a few voices raised in protest against Sermon Audio's conference, but I trust everyone will get home safely. I want to pray and then I'm going to uh, go over half of the prayer bulletin and uh, then we'll look to the scriptures together and then seek the Lord for tonight. But let's call upon the Lord, beloved. Let's ask for his help here tonight. Our gracious God, we bow before thee in the name of our Lord Jesus. We're thankful for the one who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God. And gracious Father, as we gather here tonight, it is even with the impression on our minds of the sad condition of many in our nation. As we mentioned already, this agenda-driven mentality that wants nothing to do with truth, really. Uh, there's so much blindness to nearly all forms of truth that men would live in contradiction against themselves Lord, we pray that Thou wilt have mercy upon the great cities of this nation. Thou wilt able to turn them around. Do we not have evidence of it in Nineveh? Do we not have evidence of it in Samaria? Are there not other cities through the book of Acts that we see came under the influence of the gospel of Christ and in relatively short space of time were radically changed. Why is it we believe that this is an irrecoverable condition when we look at our cities? Why is it many feel the need to just either wash their hands of the city or to imagine there is no hope for them? We pray that thou wilt help us to see that with God nothing is impossible. When we come to consider the Incarnation, surely this in itself ought to tell us that with God nothing is impossible. God became man and dwelt among us. Lord, this truth, this historical fact ought to eradicate unfounded doubt 
where we are brought to think that something is beyond the capability of our God. We pray that we might anticipate and seek for that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Lord, we pray that we might see something of that even in our own day. The rule, the reign of Jesus Christ in the gospel, subduing hearts, conquering families, granting that the hearts of men in the doorposts and lentils of their souls, washed in the blood of the Lamb, that the mark of the Redeemer is upon them, and they live for His praise. So we pray that the great Pharaoh of the souls of men would be vanquished by the preaching of the gospel of Christ. Do remember us in our efforts to preach Christ, and we ask that thy hand would be upon us. Bring those that are in New York home safely. Remember us, Lord, in all the matters we need to pray for tonight. We do thank thee for answered prayer. We thank thee for our sister Jessica and your mercies there. Continue, Lord, your good hand upon her. We pray that you'd be pleased to just give great relief, and may there be a recovery that even surprises some of the experts that have been dealing with her in recent months. We pray, Father, also that you receive her thanks for little Wells being out of hospital, but continue your good hand of mercy upon him. May he recover strength and be well again in a few days or a week or so. So we pray, Father, you'll continue to bless us, give us a spirit of prayer tonight, and as we report on some of the details of what you're doing in parts of the world, may we be greatly encouraged. We pray all this, seeking that you'll pardon our shortcomings and sins and pour out the Spirit upon us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just before we turn to the Word of God, I wish to just go through, and again, I encourage you, some of you who may not be in the habit as yet of picking up a prayer bulletin, to do so when they are announced. They are available to everyone and uh, we, they're there for your edification and your uh, more uh, informed prayers and support of our missionaries. Good to have Juan here. <laughs> Good to see you, Juan. So I'll just go over here the first half, just a couple of points. You have to read all of it, but um, please uh, get it and read over it. But we'll begin with Jamaica. It's our brother Richard Craig. Uh, just a couple, just one thing rather, I want to, his closing prayer request. I want us to remember, so if you know Richard and know the work in Jamaica, please take it to heart tonight that you'll intend to pray for brother. Uh, we have in Richard Craig uh, an indigenous pastor in the work. That's no small thing. Whenever our brother Fitzsimons went out there years ago, uh, this is the goal. You want to see someone from that area from that country take over the work, and that has been accomplished. So every time I read this, I'm thankful for this reality and this work, but it has much growth. And he says, please pray much that the Lord will take away the lackadaisical spirit. Just had a little smirk when I read that word. It's been a while since I read that word. The lackadaisical spirit and behavior from some professing believers and grant unto them a heart filled with great enthusiasm for the glory 
of God. So pray for quickening in the church. Dominican Republic, I'm not going to read what's here. You can read this and then I'll just add to the information regarding the Dominican Republic that uh, our brother Ruben, who's in his final, he'll be finishing in May or June in GRS, he, they're hoping, I'm hoping not, I'm revealing information that I shouldn't be, but being part of the oversight of uh, Mexico and Dominican Republic, you get little bits of information. I don't think there's anything secretive about this. They're hoping that Ruben will be able to do his internship in Dominican Republic. So that will move him away from Mexico. He is just about to be married. I'll, I'll make mention of that in just a moment. Um, but he will go with his new bride over to Dominican Republic and for at least a time help Ramon in the work there. So you can just add that to your information about the work in Dominican Republic. In Mexico, we have a report from Paco and Julia and one particular matter, pray for the salvation and sanctification of those who visit the church. Most visitors come because they find the church through the internet broadcasts. So we're thankful for that. Example here is a new couple who became convinced that their Pentecostal church was preaching wrong doctrine, searched on the internet and landed at their church. So uh, do remember, remember that. Pray for these new visitors that the Lord will ground them, plant them well in the congregation there. They just celebrated the 38th anniversary of that work. Has, have, have we known about that work since the very beginning? Is that, is that true? Yeah, yeah. So 38 years. So those of you who remember that, that's <laughs> maybe a sobering reminder of how long or how the years are rolling by. So pray for Paco and Julia. And then Mexico City, there's a report on their visit to uh, Northern Ireland and how that went briefly. And then they're just rejoicing uh, at the marriage of their two students, one which has just taken place. Pablo was married November 25 and Ruben will be married on the 16th of December. So just a few days he will be married. So we're very thankful for that. Pray for these young couples um, as they marry and launch into ministry in due course, we trust. He also asked prayer for five Latin American pastors who are in the early stages of, so this is all of the men who are, are there. They're, they're trying to, and I don't know how this will work, if it will work, what way it will work. It's very early stages. Uh, forming uh, their own entity, uh, whether it, uh, there's a, it's set up as a commission of the Latin work, the way it was here in the early years, or they can become a denomination at their own in due course. I don't know. This is way, way out. But they meet and uh, they have a time of the week of prayer in January, and they just try to formulate what it would look like for them to uh, really establish their own work in Latin America. But just pray for those men. I'll be making mention of a couple of others who are interested in the work as well. So just pray for all those involved and how Jason is really key in leading them. He mentions here also a group of people in Guatemala are interested in becoming a free Presbyterian church plant. After months of contact and going over materials, Jason will visit the group and do an assessment he hopes to go in February. So uh, pray for Jason as he 
This has become a key part of his work, visiting uh, pastors who are interested in the denomination. And then Cordoba, our brother Lalo, uh, he thanks the Lord because he was able to visit Pepe and Wenceslao. So those are two men who also are interested in forming mission churches. Uh, whether that occurs or not, there's still process there. But they are candidates to become missionary churches under the care of the Mexico City Church. So um, <laughs> I've been a part of the, the oversight of the Mexico City Church for, oh, I don't know, since about 2016, thereabouts maybe. And um, it's very difficult to properly oversee these works when you're not there and you don't speak Spanish. And so the Reverend Bowman and I have a little bit of a struggle there. Now, Reverend Boyle is hoping to have elders, God willing, next year. Uh, those elders at Mexico City will then be able to, uh, I hope, take over from the Reverend Bowman and myself and carry on the work in their native language. Uh, it's been, <laughs> I mentioned some time ago, uh, the meetings with Dominican Republic where uh, Ramon is very good at understanding English. He can understand what we say, but he's not fluent enough to speak quickly enough in the context of a meeting. So we have been using the, the Zoom uh, real-time uh, translation thing that they have. I don't know if you've used that. Maybe you haven't had need to, but uh, it does. It, it's quite impressive. It's like he's speaking in Spanish and we're reading what he's saying in English. And for the most part, it, you get the gist of it. But uh, if you think being in meetings is difficult in your own language, reading a transcript in real time <laughs> as the Spanish is being spoken is, is, uh, is it can be quite exhausting too. But uh, if they get their elders in Mexico City, they will then carry on all of this burden. So part of me is hopeful that this happens, alleviate uh, one or two of my Mondays in the month. He's also started, they're hoping to start Sunday evening services. This is in Cordoba and they'll be held every Sunday beginning January. So Lalo says, may God light a fire in the brothers to attend and be ministered to by the word. It's always hard to start a new, uh, something new in the habit of people. This comes up in another report here. And then Spain. So we're keeping here in the Hispanic uh, regions here, at least in the, now in Spain. Our brother John Hanna reports that there's ongoing visitors in Alcorcón. This is just outside Madrid. And uh, some are already asking to join the church. So the Reverend Uncle Alvarez has been kept busy as he disciples and deals with these new people. And then the work on Toledo, which is a newer work. There's about 35 meeting in the morning. And he says, sadly, this number drops in the evening service. This is a constant challenge to all the works, as most churches are capitulating to the trend of closing down their evening service. So it's hard to change the mentality of the people. People are the same wherever you go. And then Corticas Nuevas, this is down uh, more southern Spain, where brother Barnabo Alejandro, and uh, he is asking for prayer for some new believers uh, and the course that we're going through with them. It's hoped that some will soon be baptized and 
They're glad that some unsaved people who have come for years to church are recently showing a deep interest in spiritual matters. Also pray for the young people in that work. They're very isolated from other Christian young people. Some of them are sadly, how he puts it here, halting between two opinions. Pray that God would save them and convince them of the supreme value of Christ and his kingdom. So those are just some matters, the work in Spain and in uh, Corticos Nuevos, uh, Cordoba, where Brother Lalo, the Mexico City with uh, Jason Paco and our Brother Ramon in Dominican Republic and Jamaica. So just keep those things in your mind. Hopefully you've latched on to one or two of those that uh, you may pray for tonight. It's important. They need our prayers. Um, I was speaking to Reverend Pollock today and uh, I'm not going into details, but we were just talking about the difference of being in an environment that's saturated in prayer versus not. And uh, it's, it's sometimes we look and we tie things to men and it's really never about any particular man. It's about God. And uh, that was very evident in what we were discussing together today. But I turn you to Isaiah 12 because I was thinking about our mall outreach this coming Saturday and and just thinking about the privilege that the believer has to sing. I think some believers, I don't, maybe it's not as prevalent here, at least I hope not, uh, but certainly it can be that singing is, is kind of something that some believers do because it's the environment. They wouldn't be feeling the impulse to do it themselves. They're not really, or it takes some time for them to understand the significance of the believer's song. But singing is, is part of a, a unique feature of, of the true church, of, of the real religion. We, we don't chant, we sing. And we, we don't just re re recite things, we, we sing. And we sing with believing hearts and there's something about singing that is profound for the believer to embrace and understand and I know that Dr. Overlay, as well as myself, we're always wanting to see people in this congregation really apply themselves, not switch off, but that you engage with all of your heart, uh, that you don't you know, think it's an opportunity to talk or to do something else, that like you can uh, uh, absent yourself from the singing. Singing is wonderful. It's a gift, and God calls us. And there are a few things in Scripture more commanded repeatedly by God than that we sing. And so I was thinking about it and encouraging us as we, as we go on Saturday to sing publicly to many who will be there who really don't have a reason to sing. They will not have a reason to sing. And we do. And so let's read Isaiah 12, a short chapter, just the six verses. Isaiah 12, reading from verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. And thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. 
this is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Amen. Thank God for his word. This is a chapter that is full of joy and, as we mentioned, the sense of singing as well and the believer's right and privilege and uh, even uh, obligation to sing unto the Lord. And it's found in, a, in one of the prophets. And when you read through the prophets, sometimes they don't really sound very joyful. There's a lot of language of judgment. And the people are in a mess. And they're really not where they ought to be. And the prophet laments. And he wants so much more for them. And his heart is broken over their sins and the rebellion against God. But even here in the early portion of the uh, prophecy, which is largely filled with difficult language and hard speeches, yet you have here a, a, a looking forward, a, a hope, an expectation that whatever the prophet felt in that moment and whatever his eyes saw regarding the difficulties of the work or the lack of advancement of God's grace in the lives of men and women and children, yet he is brought to say, in that day, there is coming another day. Now, what is this day? People are going to differ. You go back to the previous chapter, I think you can argue for the first coming of the Lord. And so we, we see a continuity here. There's a looking forward in which there will be, for those of us who know that God has come to this world in the person of his Son, and has lived and died and has risen again from the grave, that there is then this expectation that marked upon those with the hope of the gospel is this kind of language, O Lord, I will praise thee. So, I want us to look at it, because it's important for us that we are singing people, and that we're able to do it publicly, and we ought to do it publicly to go uh, even, it's just coming to mind, watching that, that video of uh, the protest, I'm thinking, they have no songs. They have no songs. They have nothing to sing. Nothing. But the church does. Like inside the building, there are, there are men gathered there who are singing their hearts out unto God. They have a song. And those outside don't understand it, and that is our, our hope for them. So they're marked by ingratitude. And this is not the believer. I mention it regularly. Uh, those that are given over by God, Romans 1.21, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is not us, though. This is not us. And so God is worthy of our praise, of course, but we also, we also have a great privilege and ought to embrace this as a gift from God, that we get to sing. We are sinners. And yet we have been given reason to sing, to sing unto God, to express our joy. And it's, it's a healthy thing to do because praise directs our energy outwards and that energy tends to gravitate inwards. It tends to look in and find either grounds for our pride because we get puffed up with ourselves because we think we're great or we see on the opposite side how awful and sinful we are and we have reason to lament. 
So it's either pride and we sing about ourselves or it's lamentation and we have nothing to sing about, but praise directs us to where we can truly find reason to be thankful. It directs our eyes towards our God and gravitates us to the truths that allow us to be free and know that we are free through Christ. So at the end of verse 6, since this marks the people of God, I thought I would take the language of verse 6 where it says, Inhabitant of Zion, inhabitant of Zion. There's one other text that has this language in the Bible, so it's not commonly used. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. Is that what you are? Is it? You are. You're a child of God. You belong to God. You're part of the people of God. Emmanuel is yours through faith in Him. And so I want us to think first of their personal salvation. These inhabitants of Zion, you, believer in Christ, see your personal salvation in the language of verses 1 and 2. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. See where they were before? He was angry. This is what we can say. He had reason to be angry. There's such a thing as unjust anger. We express that. God's anger is never unjust. It's always well-grounded. There's always good reason for it. And so here, there's not an expression of, of you were in the wrong, but an acknowledgement that you were angry. Not questioning the grounds of that. That was, that was meant to be that we ought to have experienced the wrath of God, but it was turned away. Turned away. How was it turned away? Because of Christ. And you see this then in verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. This is, this is our, the foundation of what we sing about, isn't it? That our song is, here we were wallowing in sin and judgment with no hope and without God in the world. And yet he set his love upon us and he sent his son to be the savior of the world. And he accomplished everything. God is my salvation. Or even removing the italics, which is there just for us to, to read it more fluently. But God, my salvation. God, my salvation. This is what we sing about. I will trust and not be afraid. Why do I need to be afraid? The only thing we really need to fear is if God's angry. If God's not angry, we don't need to fear. This is what our Lord Jesus taught, isn't it? Fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul. And so recognizing this, that if, if we have God's favor, if we have the smile of God, then we need not be afraid. That fear has gone. The anxiety that ought to be in the heart of the sinner has been eradicated by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are free. What does he say? For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Think of the personal language here. He is mine. He is my salvation. And so you gather on the Lord's day. What do you do, beloved? You sing. He is mine. You're not singing just about how he is ours. He is mine. It's right to personalize it, isn't it? It is. Paul does this in Galatians 2.20. He gets right down to the heart of it. He loved me and gave himself for me. And knowing that, then we can express that. It's wonderful to think of what we have. This is a real salvation. I hope you have it. I hope you know about it, how this wrath of God has been turned away because of the cross and that you rejoice in all that Christ means to you. And of course, Isaiah had known something of this. There's good reason, of course, to believe he was saved long before Isaiah chapter 6. But when you read chapter 6, 
and you see him wrestling over this. He sees God in this, in this way that humbles him, makes him aware of the fact that he's not called just to preach to the problem. He is part of the problem. And he, he first needs to recognize that. Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. This comes on the back of chapter 5 where you have several woes pronounced against the people. And then the prophets come to say, I'm in there. There's woes upon me. And so he's recognized how God has become his salvation. A coal has been taken from the altar and touched his lips. He is a man who depends upon a finished work. He needs applied to his heart by faith the work that is accomplished on the altar by God on his behalf. And so he says, the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. When we go on Saturday, make sure that that is seen, right? Make sure if you're standing there, if you, maybe you're not the most tuneful, I don't know. I, I think we, we, most of us are okay. We can, we can get by, but at the very least we can, we can smile, smile, smile before the people. It's like here are people who, have something and we want our community to have it too and you never know you never know just how someone may pass by and say look at how happy all the children are look at how happy all the children are they're going to the mall dragging these little gremlins with them <laughs> who are upset that they've had to leave behind their iPads or whatever they give themselves to on a Saturday morning and they say look how happy the children are so children make sure you're happy as you sing you show your smile and make sure that that smile is in your heart as you believe in the Lord for yourself. Yes, this is the joy we have. We should trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is our strength and our song. There's also, it's also pleasant salvation. It's not just personal, but pleasant. Verse 3, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. There's a sense of the, of the pleasantness of that, isn't there? Like when you, when you go to a well, you go there to get water. That water is the source of your life. Without it, you perish. And it brings refreshment to you and everyone else who participates and partakes in it. And so there's a pleasantness there. With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. It's this endless supply. That as we, we draw from what Christ has accomplished for us, we do so with joy. Like everything you tug on in terms of Christ, everything you pull out of Christ for the believer becomes reason for joy. Doesn't it? What, what can you pull from his attributes? What can you pull from his character? What can you pull from what he has done that doesn't in some way give you grounds for joy? Even the wrath of the Son of God, you can pull on that and realize it's not, it's not towards me. It's not towards me. There are going to be people who will flee from the wrath of the Lamb, but not you if you're in Christ. So everything you pull from Christ, everything, and all the things that he brings into your life and all of that, even that, you can find a way of finding joy in it because you know all things work together for good to them that love God. So it's pleasant and it's an endless well. Keep, keep, keep drawing from it, child of God. 
draw water out of the wells of salvation. Go to your Bible and see what it's saying to you today. Go to the promises of God and say it's for me because every promise is yea and amen in Christ. And finally, they publish salvation. They also publish salvation. The emphasis of the remaining verses is in making this known. In that day shall you say, praise the Lord. That's what you're meant to say. <laughs> praise the Lord. Let people know. Call them to this. Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Even that language. You know, call upon his name or proclaim his name. It's directing the eyes of men to their, to their maker, to their creator. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. So this, this is activity that we're given the privilege of doing, of, of declaring, of publishing, of making known what he has done. Now, we all do this in varying degrees, but it must be something we all do. I was thinking of the language uh, today, it just came to mind, someone texted me something, and that, that language of, of, of Spurgeon came to mind, that you're either a missionary or a mission field. You're one or the other. And that's the way it should be for the child of God. I'm either a missionary, I'm, I'm giving out the gospel wherever I'm called to be, or I'm a mission field and I need the gospel. And so as the people of God, we ought to keep that in mind. Verse 4 should be something, we see, this is, this is my work, this is my privilege. Sing unto the Lord, verse 5, for he hath done excellent things. It's a bad thing when the people of God are thinking that God has gotten something wrong, that he has done something that is not excellent, not great. But if we rightly think of him and what he has accomplished for us, we will see that he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth, throughout the world. This is, this is being spread. This, this is the expectation of the gospel, isn't it? At a time where the truth is almost held up within one little geographic area, the prophet is looking forward to a day throughout the earth you will find those who call upon his name. And whatever we may say negatively about our own day and generation, the gospel has gone to many parts of the world. And it is succeeding. And it is influencing nations. It's listening to the uh, part, I haven't finished it yet, but it was uh, an interview with the, the prince, the, the son of the, of the Shah. Now, I don't know, some of you remember before Khamenei came into Iran and, and there was a, the revolution that took place in 78 and thereabouts. Um, the Shah was there before and his, uh, his son was being interviewed and you, know, there's, you can see in in his language, you hear in his language this desire for, for Iran to be liberated and, and uh, to, in some ways, carry on, revert back to and carry on the work that his father and his grandfather had set in motion uh, before the revolution. Uh, but, but, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this, in some ways this is happening. And it's happening through the gospel. The gospel is advancing in that land in a wonderful way. And when the gospel takes root, <laughs> that, that liberty will come. It will come. Sometimes we look at these nations and we think that, you know, by force we are going to give them democracy and liberty. But that has not worked very well in most instances. 
But the gospel has this leavening effect. Man works by force. Man tries to make it happen by the weapons of our warfare being carnal. But the weapons of the church are not carnal, yet they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And all that had been sought to do in, in terms of, of Europe, nothing worked so effectively to liberate the hearts and lives of men like the gospel. And the same is true for Iran and other Middle Eastern nations and beyond. They need the gospel. We want these things to be known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. Don't hold it in. <laughs> Don't be mute. Don't. It's coming to mind how Samuel Rutherford, that great preacher and writer and massive intellect of the Scottish Presbyterian Church, when he was imprisoned and he wasn't able to preach to his people every Lord's Day that came round, he lamented because he wasn't able to get up and cry aloud the gospel in the ears of his people. And he called them his dumb Sabbaths. Not dumb as in foolish, dumb as in silent. He wasn't able to herald the gospel on the Sabbath the way his heart desired cry out and shout, the inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Think of it, in the midst of thee. And this is what we celebrate. This is what we rejoice in because it's Emmanuel, God with us. It is the fulfillment of the covenant promises from Genesis through Revelation that he will be our God and we will be his people and he will dwell, he will dwell with his people. This is the heart of it. What happened at Calvary enables, in fact, I should say, guarantees that for everyone joined to Jesus Christ, they know fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. God in the midst of thee. We come to pray tonight, and what do we have? A God who's afar off? Are we like the prophets of Baal, cutting ourselves with stones and crying out, hoping? Are we to be mocked by the world? Maybe he's gone away? No. No. He is here. By his spirit, as it were, he sits right beside you in the pew, Indeed, dwells in your very heart by faith to be called upon. And you bring your requests. You bring your burdens. You bring your desires. You just take them from the, the weight of your own heart and you just then put them onto him, not reaching up, hoping he can grab onto them, but he's right there. Just, just cast your care upon me. He's in the midst of thee. Great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. May the Lord bless his word to hearts. We're going to sing before we seek the Lord.